praise in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and um, it was a blessing last week for me, at least just to consider who the Lord is and that he is our shepherd, and we're going to continue at it. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, please turn to Psalm 23. We're going to read all six verses again. Psalm 23. Starting at verse 1. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And when I walk through the dark valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. A brief prayer. God, thank you for your word and your spirit that illuminates for our understanding, Lord. We thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you are the Lord of the universe, and Lord, we want to take that and run with that and have a personal relationship with you. And Lord, as we spend time the next several weeks and then this morning just considering this psalm, will you just bring it to light to us? Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your word by your spirit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So we're in verse 1b this morning. We're, I mentioned last week we we're going to take a long time looking at Psalm 23. And as I was considering again this week and then just really preparing for the new year, just considering and thinking about um, a familiar passage that we know and, and to slow down and consider what it means, uh, try to read it perhaps for the first time with fresh eyes. Um, a lot of times, I know if you've grown up in, in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, you, you, if I ask right now, what are some of the familiar passages that you remember learning about, uh, considering, um, I just wrote down a few, maybe, maybe not. I think that I was taught David and Goliath every other Sunday. Um, I always wanted to be David. I always wanted to sling, um, had my brother stand with a balloon over his head on a ladder, and I, I mean, I blasted that guy in the face. He had a ho- hockey helmet on. He's fine. But, and then, then the other ones, da- uh, Daniel and Lion's Den. I like that. I always wanted to, Lions, always wanted to just fight them. And then you read the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Noah, Moses. I mean, the list goes on and on. And and I think even as an adult, sometimes I know, and even talking to other pastors, sometimes we avoid, if you will, those scriptures that are familiar because what, what am I going to tell you that you haven't already read, know, and someone smarter has already told you? But in there, there, there's deep truth and meaning. And I know for Psalm 23, at least as I, as I look at it, throughout the world, um, this is probably the most fav- famous scripture John 3.16 is famous for evangelic Christians, but Psalm 23 for the Jewish and Christian community. And as I was considering this, and as we were preparing for this, 
I was just thinking, it's not so much so that my attempt is to bring out something new to you. I mean, I always want to. Every time I go through Scripture for the first time, second time, 100th time, I always ask God to reveal something new, and sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But really, at the heart of it, my hope for this series is just if we would slow down a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you this not to brag, but just to let you know, Natalie and I read through the Bible last year. It was great. But man, reading four chapters sometimes. And I didn't want her to beat me. <laughs> and, uh, but sometimes you just go at such a breakneck speed pace and you're just going through. And, and then this year, my hope is that I would really slow down in my personal time with the Lord. Not take away time, but slow down. And since I'm doing that, I'm forcing you to do that with me on Sunday mornings. But as we consider Psalm 23, verse 1, part B, if you will, I have all that I need. What a statement. David, King David, who wrote this probably was much older. He's not quite on his deathbed, I don't think. This is just an assumption, but I think it's a reflection on his life. And being content, I have all that I need, thinking about that. And we've just come from out of the Christmas season, out of the New Year season, out of Thanksgiving. And um, did anyone order something on Amazon the day after Christmas? I mean, come on. Anyone return a gift? (laughs) Thank you for being honest. (laughs) Anyone say, that's okay. Just... uh, I'll return it and get something new. And then you select the button that says, do not notify sender. (laughs) Thanks, Grandma. (laughs) But in the last two months of the year and in the beginning of the new year, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? We start off with Thanksgiving. We go from focusing on thankfulness with gratitude, we're thankful, to the following day, Black Friday, purchasing then the transition to the Christmas season of gift giving and then purging all the stuff in the new year to make room for all the new stuff you have. And not to mention there are tons of unmet expectation all while hosting people or visiting people. And then if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you genuinely want to have a focus on Christ's birth and the newness of the year. But that's a roller coaster. I'm thankful. I want a lot. I want to buy stuff, I want to focus on Christ, and, and to be content. And we read the NLT, it says, I have all that I need, and it's been a week for me. Writing and studying on a topic like content really challenges you, at least it has for me. You realize how much, I realize how much I am actually not content, and I thought I was a content person. Just quick story uh, The kids have had three weeks off. Yes, three whole weeks off for Christmas break. It's been great. Um, I just hide here and Allie does all the work. I'm just. But one of the things that we did as a family is we had a paint night, not a paint and sip night. Slow down. We have kids. Um, But a paint night. And some of us decided to do our own thing, and some of us decided to try to be like Bob Ross. And we watched videos and we. Just had a good time of doing it. It took two nights because, you know, we're all a little perfectionists in our own way. And at some point, I was the last one to finish my beautiful rendition of my Bob Ross, and I just could not leave it alone. 
I just wanted the little puffy little clouds to look puffy and fluffy. And, and uh, Natalie told me, okay, I think you're done. You should put it down. And I said, no, just one more, just, you know, a little bit. And let me try it with my left hand. Um, and then, then, then it got so bad that all three of my children said, dad. And they took it away from me. This was this week, and I'm writing about being content. And then all of a sudden, God said, bro, what are you doing? And then I just realizing, because at first, uh, considering I, I shall not want, I shall not have need, it, it, it's always material things for me. But I shall not be want, I shall not have, I shall have all that I need, I shall not want, is not just stuff, it's relationships, it's inner peace, it's setting down the dumb paintbrush, being content with where you're at in life, and not just your stuff, not just your money, not just your relationship, but all of it. And mostly, most importantly, it's about your soul. This is what David is writing about your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Last week, we recognized just those five words, the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone has a Lord the importance of having the right Lord of your life, Yahweh, the author of life. And then we considered what is a shepherd and why Christ called himself the good shepherd. And then if he calls himself a shepherd, that means there are sheep and we are sheep. And I did, we talked about ridiculous stories about sheep jumping off cliff because the other one in front of him did it and, uh, and that we are sheep. And now David, as he's writing this, again, later on in life, he recognized the importance of having the God as a shepherd, Christ as a shepherd. He recognized that not only who is Lord of your life is important, but the fact that we're sheep and that we need to do it because, you know, we'll jump off a cliff. And King David himself understands the role as a sheep, and he understands that he too has jumped off a cliff or committed sin and fallen and without the shepherd. So which I believe is the focus on the opening to this Psalm 23. That's why I've taken two weeks to do it. Is the recognition that we all need a shepherd. Specifically we all need Jesus as our savior. And that role can only be filled by Christ. But so easily we try to fulfill it with so many different things. So after David. King David has established this hierarchy of the position. The God Yahweh is, is the, the shepherd. And I'm a little sheep, then the very next thing, what does he say? The very next line, I have all that I need. Or NIV, I lack nothing. Or in the New King James, I shall not want. Or in Hebrew, lo heseir, and it repeats itself. Literal translation, I have no want, none, no want. Like it's emphatic. So if we consider that, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no want, none, no want. He's content. And again, I've been using the shepherd's view of Psalm 23, a book by Philip Keller. And he says it this way. I shall not want, I shall not lack, because I'm in the expert care and management of my master. So throughout this series, we're going to hold on to the point, that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, because that is the, nothing else of Psalm 23 will count unless we recognize that the Lord is our shepherd. And because David understands the significance of 
not being in this want is directly related to who or what is his shepherd, the Lord. And with Jesus, we can tell that there's this comfort and peace that comes. That's why when Jesus later on tells his disciples, all who want to follow me have to give up everything. And he goes on and says, you can't have two masters. But to follow Christ means to be rich in spirit regardless of our physical condition. So that is why you can talk to someone who does not have much earthly possession and they can have this joy that you want. You can go into an itty bitty little home and they're so happy. And then you can go to someone who is considered wealthy in worldly standards, but they're poor in spirit. But again, it's not about stuff. Being content isn't just, again, I can't stress this enough about stuff. It can be in relationships. It can be your gifts and abilities. I mean, just consider that real quick. I was painting my beautiful Bob Ross picture, and the whole time I was thinking, he makes it look so easy, so unfair. I mean, that's what I was saying. And then I look over at my kids. They're so much better than me. That's cool. But it's the gifts and abilities. Why don't I have, and fill in the blank, a better relationship with my spouse, a better relationship with my kids, a better job, a better, you just fill in the blank. It's not being content in just stuff. It's being content exactly where you sit. So as we consider this, what is perhaps the secret to being content? I would suggest Really holding on to that first line, the Lord is my shepherd. And I would say that when you hear the word being content, it's easy for all of us to some degree or some season in life to say to ourselves, yes, I want to be more content. I mean, if right now, if I asked you right now, if I had the five secret ingredients of being content, everybody would want it, right? I mean, we're in the new year, New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions can be a good thing, but a lot of times it's because you're not content. You have too much of this and not enough of this. I mean, you can fill in the blank. So this morning, my hope is that we will take a look at what contentment is. Being able to say at the end of the day, at the end of the week, the end of our life, I shall not want. And more importantly, the source of where we can get our contentment from. We'll also hopefully talk about steps that won't move you towards a heart of contentment. It's not about trying harder. And then some practical steps we can take forward towards the one who holds contentment, who holds our heart. So up front, I just want to recognize one thing really quickly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not have any needs or any wants or any desires. He doesn't say that. He simply says... I shall not have, I have all that I need. Not that I don't have needs. Contentment, I shall not want. It's trusting in God in the right now. So what is contentment? I would suggest it's trusting in God in the right now. Contentment is not living in the past and thinking about how God has been faithful and worthy only in the past. He has and he is worthy in the past. Is, I did say is, because God's never ending. But our past in the past. But contentment is not just living in the future, hoping for someday God will bless me. If only I have, fill in the blank, one day when the kids finally move out, one day whenever I finally retire, one day whenever I strike it rich, one day whenever I resolve a conflict, one day when I... But being content is being content in the now. Now. 
Part of being content in the now is staying in the now, staying in the present. I brought this up several times before, but I think it's worth repeating. When Moses goes and up to the mountain to visit with God, God says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. Yes, it was holy ground, but you're going to be here for a while. And I don't want you to worry about what you left, and I don't want you to worry about what you have to face later. Sunday nights, who here frets for Sunday nights because Monday morning is work? or school, or fill in the blank, or whatever you left. But being content, and this is what David is really focusing on, right now I'm at the feet of my shepherd. He is worthy. Right now, today. I shall not want now. I'm content now. I'm relying on God's goodness right now, today. I'm able to do this now, today, because of what he has done and what he has promised, but I'm living in it today. I was talking to a friend this week, and he's going through some crazy wild stuff. Wild. I'll spare you the details, but I said wild three times now, so. And one of the comments that he made to me as he's been sharing this, as he's been walking through this for several years now, and I'm paraphrasing it, he said, the Lord is blessing me today. He is blessing me right now. He's not going to bless me when I get out of this mess. He's already blessed me. Incredible. Because as he was sharing what he's been going through, and we've talked about it over and over again, yeah, I can't wait for the end result, but you know, he's blessed now. So as we consider being blessed now, being content now, here's some steps that won't work Moving towards a heart of contentment. Just up front, these won't work, so don't pay attention. You can't simply say, I'm not going to do that anymore. You can't simply say, I'm not going to fill in the blank. It has to be a change of heart and position. That's why God says, I've taken out, Ezekiel, your old stony heart and given you a new, a fresh one. There are many ways a person can be content, or I should say there are many ways to look to be content. One is through religiousness. One is forced discipline. And if you're a very disciplined person, you probably know that. I will do better. I must be better. I must be stronger. Well, even think about if you're training for the marathon. I will run. I man run. I will put on my shoes. I will set my alarm clock for four. I will run. I will do this. And that's fine, but whenever you're talking about the heart, you do not change your own heart. If you wake up, if you even right now you're saying, yes, Lord, I want to be content. Woo, let's do it. Next thing you know, you'll go home, and then the algorithm on your phone will tell you everything that you ever needed. (laughs) That's weird stuff. You'll watch a commercial. I didn't know I needed that until they said I needed that. I was looking up. I think, if the number is right, $8 billion has been spent in the last several years on advertisement. That's crazy. I was looking at, it's been very popular to be minimalist now. And one of the people who help you get rid of things in your home said the average American person has over 300,000 things in their home. 
I can't even count to 300,000. But you can't just say, all right, I'm going to go home and I'm going to throw it away. Who here has cleaned out their closet just to put more junk in it? So it's not just working harder, doing better, praying more, which all that is good. Asking God to help you is good, but it's a change of heart. As you consider this, the true sense of a radical change of your heart is a radical change, but it's not the absence of just removal. God's going to have to put something else in it, his spirit. It's not the absence of a sickness. It's not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of a trial. So many times we say, get me out of this. I want, I want out of this. Get, get rid of this sickness. That, that's all fine and good. But essentially, the people who are most content that I found in my life are the people who are not without fear or trials or sickness or lows. It's the people who recognize the presence of someone in their life. It's the sense of being protected or guarded. So if you consider this, because if we consider the Lord is my shepherd and we're sheep, consider what a sheep is. Some more funny things about sheep. Sometimes when sheep are taken away by a wild dog or fox and the list goes on, they just lay there. They don't put up a fight. They scream, eh, you know, because they know or they assume the shepherd's going to get them. I don't know, but if a fox or a wild dog gets me, I'm fighting back. Now, in our very Western American culture, me, man, I fight. But this is not the absence of the trial considered a sheep. It's not the absence that wolves aren't going to come. It's not the absence of storms or falling off a cliff. It's the presence of the shepherd, knowing that the shepherd will take care. So it's not trying harder, it's being closer closer to Christ and it's not just I'll be calm I'll remove certain thoughts I'll stop it just simply saying I'll stop it stop it stop it right now if I told everybody don't look that way you look that way but if I say look this way then you're like okay maybe but that's what Christ is doing he's saying come to me contentment will not be achieved if you also Contentment will not be achieved if you're waiting for someone else to say, well done. See, this is the sneaky underline of the lack of being content, is you're waiting for the approval of people. Now, quickly, if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to encourage someone, do it. I know that there's a trend in the last several years that there's this false sense of humility where I won't um, give someone a praise because I, I'm afraid that if I tell my son or my daughter or my friend or my wife or whatever, that it will get to their head and I'm just protecting their ego. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not a gift. But on the opposite side, if what you are doing, you're waiting for someone to say good job, then you're not content with God saying that. Being content will not come if you're waiting for the thumbs up of others Again, patting you on the back. And again, I really stress, do it. I I love encouragement. I love to encourage. I'm not saying that. But if you live for that, you will not be content. Because at the end of your life, what you're hoping to hear is God to say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Not others to say it. When I first entered into ministry, 
two things I, I, I remember talking about contentment. I, I always found it interesting the style that students would wear. And I always considered who determines what looks good. And, and it's interesting that everyone is trying to get approval from everyone who's trying to get approval. It's like this vicious circle. And I would suggest that it doesn't leave you in high school. But this approval, 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 which I also remembered as I was considering this. There was a popular skit about 20 years ago. Oh, that's a long time to be in ministry. 20 years ago where it was going around and people were presenting the gospel in different ways live or they filmed it. And I remember it was about God's passing out gifts. And, and in this skit, a guy was playing God and he was passing out soda cans to different kids. And, and he was passing out just the individual soda cans. And then one person he gave like that one liter plastic Coca-Cola bottle too. And all these kids were like, yay, we have soda cans. We're so excited. And there's one girl that was looking at her can and looking at the leader. And God likes him better than me is the whole premise. Kept saying that. So she cries out and says, uh, Jesus, you messed up. I'm better than that person. I mean, so she just keeps praying and it's this whole long thing and she keeps praying for this liter of soda and then finally they make it as days pass by and Jesus comes, the guy playing Jesus, hands her this liter of soda and she's so excited and the next thing you know, at the very end it ends with someone holding like three, two liters of soda and she throws down her liter and says, Jesus, it's not fair. And then the skit ends. And as funny as that is, and you giggle, and it stuck with me for 20 years, I just think, man, how many times have I said, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what I want. Then I get it, and then I look at someone else, hey, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what I want. And then I get that, and they're like, hold on, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what I want. The other thing that will not fulfill the contentment is comparison. God has blessed you exactly how he knows to bless you. Exactly what he knows is best for you, I think Paul knew this best. In Philippians 4, 10 through 14, I'm going to read this to you. And just real quick background. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He's in prison. I think it's important to remember when his letters are written from prison. And we don't have time to go all the way through Philippians. But he's just sharing about what's going on in prison. And this is what he writes in just a few verses, Philippians 4, verse 10 through 14, he says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again, because he's in prison. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Just real quick, looking at verse 13. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know that's not the NLT, but that's how I memorized it. How many times have you said or heard, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You said it, right? And then you go try to do a backflip off the diving board or whatever it is. Uh, 
just recently, uh, we were watching some show, Oh, Little House on the Prairie. I highly recommend it. And there was a commercial on, and uh, one of the commercials, I don't even know what it was because I wasn't really totally watching it. And it said, you could do everything and anything you want. You could be whatever you want to be. And then my little Nora, who's six, said, no, you can't. That's a lie. Dad, that's a lie. Get her. Yes. You can't be a bird if you want to be a bird. I mean, she just preached the whole sermon to me. It was great. I was like, yes, <laughs> doing right. But, but we use this scripture for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. No, he, that's not what Paul said. He said we can do everything through Christ who gives me strength to be content. Let's look at that again. Just start at verse 11 because he's writing because they really wanted to help him. The church in Philippi really wanted to help him in prison, but they couldn't. They couldn't get to him. They couldn't collect enough money. It was a bad scene. But now they're able to. And then he picks up. He says, I know you didn't have a chance to help me. Verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I have learned. It's important to see that Paul said he's learned it. It's not this natural gift and ability that we have that you just wake up and say, yeah, I'm content. He's learned. And how, does, how has he learned? He's learned because he's had lots and little. He's had a full belly and an empty belly. See, being content is not just for the people who have stuff. Being content in all circumstances. It's not when you have more or have less. It's just being content. Because, again, I have learned Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That changes the dynamic. Go take off your little bumper sticker off your hips. Kidding. But it's true. It's to be content. It's not a natural thing. It's not talents or ability. He says he had to learn it. To be content, which is encompasses peace. I have learned to have peace in Christ. Again, it's not a lack of want or need. It's simply presenting your request to God and saying, Okay, Lord, this is what I think I need. Your will be done. You fill in the blanks. Again, he's, he's in jail. And not, not too long ago, he was also asking, when you come, will you please bring my cloak? And will you bring paper and my journals and pencils? I'm paraphrasing. So it's not that he doesn't want things. That's a, that's a lie, too. Being content is just is not saying, I don't want anything. Well, that's not true. You want to be loved. You want to be cared for. You want to have food. You want to have shelter. So it's not that... Paul didn't say, oh, I do need these things. I want these things. He's just saying, this is what I want. And if I get it, great. If I don't, help me be great. The source of contentment. Charles Spurgeon, in his great sermon, Good Shepherd, talks about a missionary named Dr. Thomas Thompson. Excuse me. And he wrote a book called The Land and the Book. He wrote in 1880. And he tells the relationship between just the land and the Bible and how it relates. It's quite interesting. And one section he writes specifically about sheep and shepherd. And this is what he wrote. He, he talks about, he tells of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep and how it's unique. It's unique under other than any other animal. 
And he goes on and he says, there will always be sheep which will always keep their distance from the shepherd. If the shepherd, if the shepherd sits down at one end of the field, those sheep will go far off on the other side. And then there are the sheep which keep, a, keep as close as they can to the shepherd. They are always found at the shepherd's feet. You never see them without also seeing the shepherd right there. They're always at the feet. But, he would go on to explain, there are sheep who are still in the sheepfold, but they like to be on the fringes. They want to keep the shepherd in sight, but they don't want to be close. But the sheep that are right by the shepherd's feet, when he moves, they move. They love the pasture, but they love the shepherd more. They love what the gift, but they love the gift giver more. Gift giver more. The sheep at the feet of the shepherd are generally the fattest of the flock, he would go on. Because the shepherd assure, assures them that they have the best food, not simply because of favoritism, but they're the first ones there. They're the ones closest to see where he's leading. He would go on to describe and explain that the sheep at the far end of the field were still part of the sheepfold. Although they were far off, they still recognized his voice, the voice of the shepherd. They were still on the same field, but there was a delay in hearing his voice. Yet they kept their distance because although they identified as sheep and they identified he was their shepherd, they wanted to do things on their own. They were the ones that always skated on the line between safety and being lost. He would go on to suggest because they always felt they knew better than the shepherd. Now, I don't have to explain this to you. But this is the relationship that some of us have with Christ. Oh, I know Jesus. I love him, but I don't trust him. Or perhaps I trust him, but I, it's a slow fade. At least I've seen in my own life, and I was talking with a friend just last Sunday about this. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. I don't just storm off away from the shepherd. It's weeks, months go by, and I look, and I say, oh, where did he? Oh, he's way over there. What happened? Why did he leave me? No, he didn't leave me. I just kind of faded away. Again, just considering skating the line. And in the book that I really reference this to, The Shepherd's Look of Psalm 23, he, he writes and he talks about this one particular, Philip Keller that is, talks about this one particular sheep. And he called this sheep a fence crawler or half Christian who wants the best of both worlds. And he goes on, and I'm just going to read right from his words. He said, I once owned a, a lamb who can, whose conduct was specifically like this person on the outside. And he would go on to describe how beautiful, and it was a perfect-looking lamb, and whatever that means. And, but at the end, he would say, despite all of her attractiveness and attributes, she had this pronounced fault she was always discontent with where I was leading. So, so much that I would call her Mrs. Gadabout, because she always gadabout. This one, you produced more problems for me than almost all of the rest of the flock combined. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were 
in, she would search all along the fence or the shoreline because they live by the sea, looking for a loophole so she could crawl through and start feeding on the other side. It wasn't a lack of pasture. My fields were my joy and delight. The sheep in the district were not getting better, better grazing with Mrs. Gadabout. It was ingrained habit that she was never content with what I had for her. Often she had forced her way through the fence just to go eat on sloppy grass. Because she knew best. And if you get the book and read it, which I recommend you do, it's an easy read. He goes on and talks about eventually he had to kill her. Slaughter her, that's what he said. Because she wasn't just leading herself away. Other people, other people, other sheep started following in her footsteps. So it's not that she didn't know the shepherd. She just knew her own way. And if I consider this more with the relationship with Jesus that he had with his 12 disciples, for a very long time, I really struggled, to be honest with you. Why did Jesus have three favorite and then a super favorite in John? To be completely honest with you. John the Beloved. And I struggled with thinking about, what about the other nine? Now, granted, if you know anything about Strength Finder, my top strength is Includer, everyone. Everyone. If we're going to play dodgeball, everyone better be playing dodgeball. But I never, never really understood for a long time why Jesus had three. I never wanted to leave anyone out, so I considered Peter, James, and John. What was that all about? And then I noticed going through John, it was several years now, going through the Gospel of John, I realized that it wasn't necessarily Jesus had his favorite three. It's these three men favored Christ. And John so much so, when you read the gospel, it is an intimate journal of the relationship John had with Jesus. So if Christ is the good shepherd, they were the three sheep that were right at his feet. So Spurgeon puts it this way, Jesus loved them and they were all the sheep of the good shepherd and all of us who believe in Jesus are God's children, but there are some who seem dutiful or more obedient than the Children, they're the ones who walk close communion. So as I was considering this, I just, I really started thinking about what this meant. And, and it's not that the good shepherd doesn't lead everyone. It's that there are some who notice his provision and his direction, his care a lot sooner than others. And this is not a reward-based theology, just to be upfront. God will not bless you if you check off all the boxes. That's junk. This is what I'm calling proximity thought theology, and I just made it up. The definition of proximity is this, nearness in space, nearness in time, nearness in relationship. It's not that the shepherd is not caring for his whole flock, it's that the ones on the fringes are the last one to notice. Consider this, the sheep that are on the outer edge or even on the other side of the field sees the shepherd's movement, hears his voice, but at a delay. Yet they're not close enough to notices, notice the nuances in Christ. And this is how, this is, I always picture a scene. I imagine the sheep right next to the shepherd and the shepherd sitting down. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm about to get up, I take a breath. I go, and then I get up, probably because my knees hurt, but I get up. But I imagine that the, when the shepherd sits down, the only people who know the shepherd is about to get up and move are the ones right by him who hear him draw that breath. 
That's how close we need to be with Christ. To see the, the smile, you don't see the smile from far away. To smell him, to hear him sing his little tune, his little hum. Those who nestle up close to Christ, to the shepherd, experience all that. And it's not because Christ doesn't offer that for everyone. It's because a lot of times it's easier for us to walk around the fence trying to find soggy grass. So just some takeaways, just about being content and considering it. And this is what I attempted to do this week. I reflected on answered prayers of the past. I wrote them out, or I typed them out. Here are the prayers, and this is how God answered them. Yes, no, or wait. I can't think of any other answer that he gives us. Then I went through my thankful list. What am I thankful for? I just started writing out things. And you know, at least for me, the first 10 were real easy, and then all of a sudden I started getting a little repetitive and then I felt bad about that and said, sorry, I know that you've blessed me more. I'm thankful. And then next thing you know, just the floodgates open and you could just go. And most importantly, I wrote down, I acknowledge when I was in proximity to the shepherd and when I wasn't this week. Could I hear him take his draw of breath when he stood up? Could I hear his little tune that he was humming? Can I see the sweat on his brow, the smile on his face? And then I just wrote down, thinking, thinking, and loving him. This quote from Dr. Tim Keller, not, not to be associated with the other Keller, he wrote this, and I think he wrote it in 97 in his, one of his first books. He said, it's taken him a long time to realize how God answers prayer, and this is what he said. God's response to him. Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what she or he would have asked if they knew everything that I know. Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he, she or he would have asked if they knew everything that I know. And do you believe that? And to the degree that you believe that, you will have peace and contentment. And lastly, if anyone is sitting in here thinking that they're not content because they're being punished, that's also a lie. Look at the cross. All of the punishment of the world for sin was laid on our shepherd. So, uh, it, being content, if you really take some time this week to reflect on answered prayers of past, yes, no, wait, a thankful list, acknowledge where you are in proximity to the shepherd, it helps with being able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And finally, put down the paintbrush, let it go. We're going to receive communion, Tim Schoolin is going to lead us in communion. We're going to sing a couple of songs. You're welcome to join us in receiving communion if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't have membership or anything like that. But as you...
sit and sing unto the Lord and just consider who he is. Consider again, is the Lord your shepherd and where are you in proximity to his feet? And the great news and the wonderful news is you may be at the very far end of the field, but you can always come to his feet. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Forgive us when we try to uh, go by the fence, live in both worlds, jump the fence, find a hole in the fence when we think we know better. Thank you that you're faithful when we're not. Thank you that uh, we can come to you right at your feet. Um, Thank you for the reminder that when you feel distance, it's not because you've ran away, it's because where we're at. Lord, will you just call us closer to you and let us be obedient to you? Let us be able to hear you draw a breath when you get up, see the sweat on your brow. The tune that you hum, the smile that you have for us, not because of us, but because of you, Lord. Will you help us be content in you to recognize that we do have all that we need for our soul? And Lord, and it's not for a lack of request or asking. You, you tell us to come to you and ask, and, and your yoke is light, and you can carry our burdens and So, Lord, when we do present our request to you, will you help us be content with how you answered? And and from that quote, we really want what you want, and we know we can't see everything the way that you see things, but let us trust that you know what is best. So, Lord, may we, either if we're in a valley or on a hill or through some kind of sickness or dark season, Lord, we do have all that we need. We have you. So let us cling to you. And Lord, if we ever get away, grab us, pull us back. Lord, thank you for the psalm. Thank you for King David who wrote this. As we were reminded, he had a heart for you. Let us also have a heart for you. So now, Lord, as we sing more songs unto you, prepare our hearts to receive communion. We just thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.